Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. All right, if you guys Here's have today's Bibles, message. I would love for you to join me in the Gospel of, of Matthew chapter number four. The Gospel of Matthew chapter number four. We're going to get there in, in just a moment, but while we are turning to that, I want to I share a couple of things with, with you guys. Now, there's a couple of things that I do in the beginning of every year that kind of helps me to kind of begin to identify the patterns and the rhythms that God speaks to me in. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of insight for, for me. Every year when I'm, when I'm reading through the Bible, um, each year I have a different color highlighter. So for this year, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a Pittman perspective. This year, my highlighter for 2022 is the color green. Green is a strong color for growth and prosperity and blessing and things like that. But here's what that means for me. Um, when I look at my Bible and I look at the highlights in yellow, yellow was 2020. Um, my, my highlights that were in blue was 2021. And now I'm going into 2022. And here's what that does. It allows me, when I'm looking at my Bible, to see what God was speaking to me back in 2020 what God was speaking to me in 2021, and what God is speaking to me in 2022. And if I can see that God was speaking to me the same passage of Scripture, like consistently for three years, that's how you begin to recognize themes that God is clearly trying to speak to you. So I would just want to encourage you, just one of the little spiritual life hacks that I use is that as you're engaging the Word of God, you can do this with a digital Bible. You can do it also, um, obviously, with a paper Bible. But find that one thing that you highlight your Bible with, and then when you look back at it years later, you can say, okay, the year of 2022, these are all the scriptures that I highlighted that God was speaking to me. And you begin to recognize the themes and the patterns that God is speaking because God often speaks in rhythms and patterns. And it's, it's up to us to recognize those patterns that he's speaking to us in. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm, I'm pumped about this, uh, about this series that we're going into, this series um, that we've entitled Make Room, um, because I realized that in order for us to truly be the recipients of what it is that God has for us, it requires us to make room. You'll find that the biggest blessings, I, I began to think of it this way, that if every single one of my prayers, if they were, all of them were answered, would I have room for them? Have I made preparation for the things I've been praying for? Have I made preparation for the things that I'm asking for God to move in? And, and more often than not, we all can, can accumulate a little bit of clutter. We, we carry some things with us. And if we're not careful, when God shows up to present something to us, we, we don't have room for it. And so this series is meant to challenge us to, to take inventory of where we are in our lives and to begin to position ourselves in such a way that we begin to make room. What are some things I need to clear out so that I can make room for what it is that God wants to bring in. I, I think about it uh, this way. Whenever we go grocery shopping, there's a moment where um, I'm, the way that I put up groceries, and, and my wife's at home, she's, she's watching. Um, hey, honey, she, she just lost her grandmother, so we're praying for her. She's at home grieving, and she's going to be with her family, but um, I know she's watching right now, and, and, and we love you. We're, we're, we're encouraging you, and we're with you and your family, um, but, but one of the things that I, that I know is when I go grocery shopping, the way that I put up groceries is vastly different than the way that Megan does. My, my strategy for putting up groceries is I got it. I put it in the refrigerator. Whatever is there, I move it out the way. I shove it in the back. I do whatever I need to do in order to force it to get in. But, but what Megan does is she actually likes to take stuff out, look at it, look at the expiration date. What are the things that still need to be here? She actually begins to make room because she doesn't want something expired to take up too much space. Mm. This is just an introduction, y'all. I, I wonder as we go into new season, what are the expired things we're bringing with us? that it's not making room for the abundance that God wants to bring to us. I believe that God is asking us in this season to begin to evaluate our proverbial closets, our proverbial refrigerators, and say, what are the expired thoughts that you're carrying with you? What, what are the expired habits that you're bringing with you? What are the expired relationships that are taking up space? And when a new relationship shows up, you don't make room for it because you got this old thing in the way. What this series is meant to do is to really challenge us to take inventory, remove the things that, that aren't healthy for us, remove the things that, that we've really grown attached to that maybe God wants us to release so that we can make room for what it is that he has for us. I, I believe one of the passages that have really been speaking to me in that regard is found in the Gospel of John, um, chapter 3, verse 30. Um, and, and you can just write that down later as a note, but it's John the Baptist, and he says these things as it relates to Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is come. John the Baptist has been very influential in preparing the way for Jesus, but he's at this point where he makes this statement, I must decrease and he must increase. John was saying that I need to have less of me in order for there to be more of Jesus. 
He was speaking of himself. He was speaking of his ministry, but I believe that same thing applies to us. There's gotta be less of me if I want more of Jesus. There's gotta be less of me in my marriage if I wanna see Jesus glorified in my marriage. There's gotta be less of me in my resources if I wanna see Jesus glorified in my resources. You can look at every area of our lives and have this fundamental idea, less of me and more of Jesus. Because where there is a more of a presence of Jesus, there's a blessing that comes alongside of it. When we decrease, it does bring increase. When we make room, we make progress. That's what we're gonna be talking about over the next couple of weeks. To give us context into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, I'll set it up this way. Not much is known about the early life of Jesus. Now, I know we all are used to seeing baby Jesus in a manger, but when we look at the collective um, timeline of the life of Christ, we don't have a lot of information of his early life. Here's what we have of, of Jesus. We have the prophetic words concerning him. We, we have his birth. Um, we all celebrated uh, Christmas. We, we have, after that, we have about two years um, later when, when the wise men finally arrived to present him with his gifts. Then we fast forward and we don't see him again until he's 12 years old. He's in the temple talking to uh, the, 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 the wise men and the, and the sages. He's inside of the temple. He has a conversation there. And then we fast forward and then he's 30. So when we are looking at the life of Jesus, we are literally only seeing about 10% of his life when we look at his ministry. So you got to ask yourself, what was he doing in all of those years of silent, all of those years that we have no context of, all of those years we don't have perspective of? Well, I believe that Jesus was living a traditional Jewish life, which was preparing for his calling. Imagine that, that we only seen 10% of his life and 90% was spent in preparation. How often do we live our lives where we want 90% to be seen and only 10% in preparation, but Jesus models something different for us? that there's times where we need to spend a lot of time in preparation if we wanna have maximum impact. And because of the 90% of preparation that Jesus put in, that 10% that we saw was enough to literally change the world. Jesus is now at a point where he's about to begin his public ministry. He's about 30 years old now. All these years of, of silence, he goes and he gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, which is initiating his public earthly ministry. That's kind of what leads us into this very next moment that happens after that. After he gets baptized, starting here at verse number one, it says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered and said, it is written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Um, he has given his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not even strike your foot on a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Verse number eight. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written to worship the Lord God your only and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. Then after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, after Jesus was tempted, after Jesus was tested, after he responded with the word of God, then it says that the angels came and strengthened him and that the enemy fleed. I believe that this passage of scripture almost serves as a recipe for us to be successful in whatever our visions and goals and dreams are if we can look at the pattern that Jesus has set for us. I want to talk to us for a few moments around this idea of being anchored. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for your community. I thank you for this amazing church uh, family and, and what it is that you've allowed us to do, what you've commissioned us to do, and what you're empowering us to do. Lord, I just pray over the next few moments that you give us open eyes that we can see you, open ears to hear your truth and open hearts to receive it and the ability to take the necessary steps to see your will activated in our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you to encourage us, to challenge us, to direct us, to inspire us. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And amen. You know, I, I, I read somewhere that, um, that the earth is like over 70% filled um, with water. And, and so that's not a spoiler alert. We all get that. We all understand how much of the world is just filled with water. So historically, that meant that there were certain areas that just weren't accessible because there was no way to get to them. So naturally, um, man and his ingenuity through the spark of inspiration um, from God, he gave man the inspiration to create boats. And boats now made the world a lot smaller and made areas that were inaccessible accessible. So man created a boat, and as man would get on these boats, they would begin to travel and to seek out new worlds and to learn and discover what's all out there, what's available for them, what are some other things that are there. But, but then there became a, a, a recurring problem. That, that the winds would come and that the waves would come and that storms would come. And now these boats that were basically at the, the whims of the waves didn't have any direction. So then they began to create sails. And that would allow them to steer and use the wind that would actually help them to be able to be redirected. But when storms would come, they couldn't steer through it. And so they would end up crashing up against walls and rocks and, and losing and not even making it to their destination. So then, through the spark of inspiration, man was then told to, we need to create something that's going to allow us to be stabilized. We're going to create an anchor. And, and, and the beautiful thing about an anchor is that once you drop it, it allows you, to, it allows you to be stabilized. It allows that even if the currents shift, that there's only but so far you can go that, that if the winds come, that, that you're anchored, you're not going to get set adrift. You're not going to lose everything that you've carried with you, that you can, you can ride out the storm and you can make it to your destination. That's how important Anchors are, they allow you to, to, to be stabilized. It allows you to be rooted. It allows you to not be adrift to the point that you don't make it to your destination or, or unfortunately, that you don't make it anywhere at all, that you are lost at sea. That's, that's the significance of anchors. And, and, and I, I look at this and I say this because I think that, that we all need to have something that anchors us to ensure that, that when the storms come, because they will come, that when the waves come, because they will come, that when, that when the tides shift, because they will shift, there is something that we are anchored to that would allow us to experience stability and ensure that we don't lose everything that we've accumulated up to this point. I, I believe that there's a few things that, that God wants to ensure that we are anchored to, because if we're not anchored to the right things, we can end up going astray. Paul, he, he uses this language in Ephesians chapter number four. He says that we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves, blown around with every wind of teaching and human cunning cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Paul was using this idea of someone not being anchored. And then when something new comes in, it completely changes your direction. It completely changes your mind. I was just recently talking to, to Pastor Vinny. We went out and we went to see uh, the, the newest Matrix film. Anybody who knows me knows that I absolutely love the Matrix, the universe, all of that. I, I love it. So when we walked out of that movie, we were talking, me, him, and Danny, and we were like, man, like, that was, that was pretty good, man. Like, okay, like, we, we had our whole month. We, like, geeked out for, like, 10 minutes in front of the theater. It was awesome. Then we went home. And as we went back home, we went to our respective areas, we started looking at the reviews of what experts had to say about it. And now, something that we once enjoyed, something that we once liked when we come back, because of the words of someone else, we no longer like it. How, how often is, does it happen where we can feel really good about something until somebody says something to us that completely shifts our opinion or perspective? We can say, man, I really love this album. You like that album? D do you? Oh, you must don't really understand music. Well, of course. Like, what you, what's your opinion on the matter? And then if I can hear enough, it can completely sway my, my decision. Have you ever been to a restaurant? My wife is good at this. Like, have you ever been to a restaurant and you have like a favorite dish or a favorite meal? And yeah, I absolutely love this. Oh, you, 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 you love their bacon? Man, I don't, I don't like their bacon. You know where you need to go? You need to go to this other spot. And before long, something that we genuinely said that we like, something that we genuinely said that we enjoy, we no longer like it because we've allowed someone else's words to completely change our opinion. These things seem so small and cavalier, but how often does it happen with much bigger things? How often does the enemy show up in our lives and we feel good about certain things? We feel strong about certain things. We feel like we're going in the right direction, but then all it takes is the wrong voices to begin to influence us and we begin to drift away from our very convictions. This is what Paul is talking about because we're not anchored to the right things. We're anchored to people's opinions or, or we're anchored to our feelings. 
And we know our feelings are facts, don't we? we? We know our feelings are the gospel. We know that we live in a world where our feelings are the truth. So unfortunately, the way that my feelings may change, then that means that what I'm anchored to may change, and I never make it to my destination because as the winds come, I'm constantly being tossed to and fro. Jesus gives us the remedy in Matthew chapter 7 when he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was the rock. They were anchored on something beyond just my feelings. They were anchored on something beyond human opinions. It was anchored on something beyond myself. What Jesus is encouraging us and challenging us to do is we have to be anchored in something beyond ourselves. We have to be anchored to something beyond our opinions. And we live in a world, unfortunately, where my feelings and my opinions are the truth. And unfortunately, those things can be so easily swayed that I can lose focus and I can't make it to my God-given destination. This is why when we engage in the Word of God, these are things that anchor us. That when we engage in moments of worship, those are things that anchor us. That when we engage in journaling and being reminded of what God has done, those are things that anchor us. That when we serve the people of God, those are things that anchor us. That when we give out of obedience, those are things that anchor us. When we enter into a season of prayer and fasting, those are things that anchor us. It allows us to, to be anchored to something so that when the winds come, we don't get too far away from what it is that God wants us to do. Fasting simply means this. It means to intentionally abstain from something. It means to disconnect so that we can connect. Fasting means to disconnect from the world. Prayer means to plug into God. We, we do this as a, as a regular thing. It's a spiritual discipline that ensures that we are anchored to something beyond ourselves. I rarely make any significant decision without going into a period of prayer and fasting. That may be one day. That could be just a couple of hours, but I very rarely make a decision that is substantial without at least pausing and saying, okay, I'm going to disconnect. Why? Because all of us are susceptible to, being, to having opinions influence us. All of us are susceptible to having outside sources begin to sway us. So what I need to make sure of before I make any decision is I want to make sure that I've paused, I've disconnected from anything that can distract me so that I can truly hear from God and not from the voice of man. What we see is that, that the enemy is very cunning. He's, he's, he's very manipulative, and it's amazing how he can speak through different things, through half-truths and, and taking scriptures out of context. I believe this, that when we fast and pray, it is how we intentionally disconnect from the world so that we can adequately engage the presence of God. Watch this. When we fast, we make room for God to speak. That when we fast, we, we make room for God to inspire. When we fast, that we make room for God to challenge us. That when we fast, it's how we make room for God to lead us. When we look in Scripture and see some of the people that have fasted before they were given their assignments, the, 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 the impact is almost um, hard to even fathom. Moses was in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights, and they gave him the law. Daniel fasted for 21 days, and he got vision and revelation. David fasted, and it helped him to get closure with the loss of his son. Elijah fasted, and it allowed him to get direction on what his next steps are supposed to be. Esther fasted, and it gave her the strength and courage to, to face her husband, who was the king who was trying to eradicate the Jews. What I'm saying is that fasting is essential in order for us to draw closer to God. Here's, here's what fasting is not. Fasting is not a spiritual hunger strike. It's not a spiritual hunger strike. In other words, I don't fast to get something from God. I fast to get to him. I'm not fasting to get something out of him like, Lord, I'm going to starve myself until you say yes. No, that's not what a fast is. Fasting is actually removing things so I can get closer to him. And then even if, even if the thing that he wants me to go through, the thing he wants me to walk to is uncomfortable, he will strengthen me to do it. Fasting allows the distractions to move away so I can hear clearly from God and I can be strengthened on what it is that he wants me to do. We don't fast to get something from God. We fast to get to him. Jesus is entering into his public ministry. He goes into this period of praying and fasting. Remember, Jesus is our example. So Jesus is entering into a new season of his life. He's about to go public with his ministry. He's about to start doing the thing that God called him to do. I would even go as far as saying that seasonally from Jesus, he was entering into a new year. 
Sound a little bit familiar? We're entering into a new season. We're entering into a new year. We're entering into a new world of opportunities. And for Jesus, as he was entering into that same moment, he decided to go into a period of fasting and praying to prepare himself for what he was about to face. And I believe the same thing can be said of us. What Scripture says is that as Jesus gets baptized and now he's led out into the wilderness, this desolate location, the Bible says that he was tempted by the devil. Now, now let's, let's break this down for a moment. That word tempted means to be tested or examined. That, that Jesus had this, this, this substantial assignment on his life that, that was going to have global impact, that was literally going to change the world, but he had to first go to a place where what was in him had to be examined, that what was in him had to be tested. I firmly believe that you truly never know something's character or capacity until it's been tested. You, you really never know what something has the capacity to do until it's tested. You never know what someone has the capacity to do until they're tested. Nothing reveals character or capacity more than being tested. Many of us have been in places where once we were tested, we've seen that we did indeed have the capacity to do the thing that we thought was so overwhelming. Many of us, when we had a lot put on our plate and we thought we couldn't do it, it was when it's in that moment that we realized that, no, I do have the capacity to do it. But it's also in those moments that our character is revealed. Our dependency is revealed. I'm a firm believer of this, that when we're tested, we don't rise to the occasion, we fall to our preparation. Let me say that again. We don't magically just rise to the occasion, we fall to our preparation. Jesus lived a life of constant preparation. So when the testing came, what was in him came out of him. When the pressure was applied, what came out of him was the word of God. My, my question for some of us, if the pressure is applied to our life right now, is Jesus coming out or is our flesh coming out? If the pressure is applied to our lives right now, if things begin to fall apart, what's going to come out of us? Because what's in you is going to come out of you. So what seasons of preparation do is it allows us to allow the presence of God to fill us to the point that even when things get uncomfortable, that the will of God comes out. This is why Jesus could be in the Garden of Gethsemane literally praying that he doesn't die, but he's able to stand to his feet and say, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. The pressure and the pressing of his assignment began to collide with his feelings and his emotion and his desire to live. But when that pressure came on, obedience came out. I want to live a life that I've put so much of God in me that when a pressure comes, that God comes out of me. I want to live a life of such obedience and such desire to do the will of God that when the pressure comes upon me, the anointing comes out of me. See, the Bible declares that it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. That means that that is the thing that gives us freedom. But unfortunately, the only way that the anointing on our lives comes out of our lives is when there's been a little bit of crushing. So now we're in this existential crisis where the only way I can truly get free from something is to be put in a position where it's a little bit restrictive. But ironically, God will use that very same restriction to bring me to a place of freedom. Let's look at the life of Jesus. It was his death on the cross that brought victory to all of mankind. He didn't want to die, but somehow him dying in his flesh brought a resurrection in our spirit. What that means is there's some things that we have to die to if we want to come alive in Christ. There's some things that we got to die to if we want to see the fullness of God come alive in our life. There's some things that we need to bury if we want to see Christ come alive inside of our life. This is the moment where we can make room for the things of God to begin to really blossom and take root. And so now we have Jesus who is making this conscious decision to disconnect from all of the distractions because he knew that he was going to face so much opposition. So he enters into this season of prayer and fasting, and it revealed to us who his source was. It revealed to us what he was anchored to. There's three things I want you to write down that I believe that can help us as we're launching into this new season. Here's the first thing. Fasting anchors our appetite in Christ. Fasting anchors our appetite in Christ. Let me, let me unpack what I mean by that. The devil tells Jesus that if you're hungry, duh, like you haven't eaten in 40 days. You haven't done anything for 40, like you're, you're hungry. So why don't you just turn these stones into bread so that you can eat? See, 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 the devil is using something that is very common sense. Of course Jesus is hungry. And the truth of the matter is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with eating. 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with eating. However, for Jesus, he had made an obligation to God that he was going to eat after the 40th day. What the enemy loves to do is he loves to show up and to suggest ideas that brings us to a place of compromise. Here's the thing I want to make sure of. Notice I said suggest. I, I, I am not the type of person that believes in exalting the enemy. When Jesus died on the cross, he was placed under our feet. The enemy's greatest power is the power of suggestion. It's up to us whether or not we want to accept what he's suggesting for us to do. He suggested for Jesus to eat. And Jesus responded and said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In the context in which he is quoting from, he is saying this. Moses says these words to the children of Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land. And he's reminding them with this statement that, yes, you guys ate manna while you were in the wilderness. God fed you. But it's not the manna that sustains you. It was the word of God that did. So when Moses makes this statement to the collection of people, he's saying, don't be so dependent on things that are so quick to pass away. Recognize that God is your source. That is, a, that is such a strong word for us in our current culture. Because the biggest temptation that I think we can often find ourselves in is the temptation of instant gratification. I know that you said you're going to fast for 40 days, but, but man, you're hungry. God knows your heart. It's all good, man. It's all under grace anyway. Go ahead and compromise and have instant gratification. We live in an instant gratification world. We live in a world where why wait when you can have it? And listen, I am just as much a part of that as possible. When I go onto Amazon, and if it's not prime, I'm not ordering it because I don't have the patience to wait three days. Man, if you're not here within two days, then it's not God's will for me to have it. Like we all, we all, we all know that feeling of wanting instant gratification. I get it. But, but, but there are some things that we have to make sure that we are not missing God's patient obedience in going into instant gratification. The things that God wants us to wait on the Lord so we can renew our strength. Those things that God is encouraging us to just stand still and see the salvation of God. Those are things that deal with just waiting and standing and being obedient and even persevering and building up the ability to handle no and know that God is still faithful. Those are, those are character traits that is going to serve you well in life. But when we begin to live in a world of instant gratification, our ability to wait on the Lord begins to waver, which means we never establish strength. And then whenever something new comes, we're tossed to and fro because we haven't developed that skill set of being able to wait. When the enemy comes to Jesus and he's suggesting for him to turn the rocks into bread, he's trying to tempt him to compromise and to lean into instant gratification. And what I believe every single one of us got to say is that I have an appetite for the things of God more than for the things of the world. My, my desire is to see and to do the will of God in my life. So many times we compromise the destination because of the length of the journey. We don't want to get to the destination because the journey is so long, so we're, we're constantly okay with the small things. But what if the big thing that God has for you is going to require you to have delayed gratification? I, I once heard someone say that the, thing, the way that you define true maturity is when someone understands the weight of delayed gratification. That is the mark of maturity. Because when you think about how children function, children want everything now mine. But Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I behaved as a child. I, I, I wanted things like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, I no longer have a childish mentality. That means that everything works out for me overnight. Sometimes we want, sometimes we want microwave solution to crockpot problems. Don't y'all play with me. This is the first Sunday of the year. <laughs> we want microwave solution to crockpot problems, things that require a little bit more time for the season and the things that God has for us to work its way through. So that may when the temptation and the opposition and the obstacles come, that you can still taste the flavor of the kingdom in our lives. Unfortunately, we have too many surface-level Christians because they didn't want to stand and wait. They're instant gratification Christians, but when something brushes up against them, the flavor is gone and there's no substance beneath it. But I believe that Celebration Orlando is going to be a church that roots itself and anchors itself in God in such a way that even when the storms come, you can still see Jesus. That we, even when the opposition comes, you can still see Jesus. This is the will of God for our lives, for our appetites to be anchored into the things of God. 
making sure that our appetites are anchored in Christ. Here's the second thing that I want you to write down, that, that fasting anchors our affirmation in Christ. That fasting anchors our affirmation in Christ. So, so the enemy then, after he realizes that he's not successful with that temptation, he says, okay, look, I, I got another idea. He, he takes him to the top of the temple, and he says, hey, listen, you know what would be a great way to launch your ministry? If you just stage-dived off of this thing, and the angels came in and magically caught you, Jesus, I promise if you do that, bro, you will go viral. You might even get a Jesus jump challenge. Like, it, it, it'll become a thing that everybody is doing because the angels are going to come in. It's going to be a spectacle. You're going to be popular. Everyone's going to know you. And then everywhere you go, people are going to say, oh, that's, that was Jesus. He's the one that jumped off the, off the temple, and, and the angels came in and magically caught him. And okay, he, he clearly must be the Messiah affirmation of the world. Because if Jesus would have went on such a public display, he would have been hailed and respected and loved one moment. But when people began to turn against him, he could have possibly lost sight of who he was because he was needing the affirmation of man in order to validate his calling. I believe that one of the things that the enemy has done in addition to compromise and getting us into this instant gratification is for us to be so consumed with the opinions of man, for us to be so consumed with what the world says, for us to be so consumed with what everybody else says, and we live our lives not on mission, not on purpose, not based on calling, but we live our lives and make decisions based on what's going to look good for the gram. We, 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 begin to, we begin to orient our lives and we begin to compare our lives and we begin to, to look at other people and, and, and we look at who liked my photo. When I like their photos, they don't, they don't like my photo. We begin to get absorbed into a world that consumes us and we're no longer doing things through a place of authenticity. We're doing things for worldly applause. Having my granddaughters with us during the week of Christmas was amazing. They're, they're, they're three and five respectively, but... They think they're grown, so you can only imagine what that's like. But because they're so close in age, um, we just buy them double of everything. You get the same clothes. You get the same toys. We just don't want no problems because they're at that age where they just constantly are comparing. They're frustrated. They're disappointed. So they just constantly, so we're just like, okay, we'll get you the same thing. And so um, both of them got the exact same coloring books. They all got the same crayons. They're playing and they're, they're doing their thing. And so my, my, my oldest granddaughter, um, Kyla, she comes to me and she says, like, hey, G-Pop, because that's what they call me, because that fits me. Um, I just feel like that fits me. When, they, when I was like, yo, what do you want to be called? I'm like, I'm not going to be called Grandpop. Look at me. I'm, I'm not there yet. So, so they call me G-Pop. She's like, hey, G-Pop, um, did you look at my coloring? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Girl, you, you are probably the best person I've ever seen color something in my entire life. Like, I don't know if anyone will ever be able to top this. Like, I think we need to, like, frame this, send it to the Smithsonian. This is a moment that we need to document in history. I do all of that. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. So she captures that moment. She walks away. She smiles. And then the little one, Kalea, comes up. She's like, G-Pop, what do you think about mine? I'm like, baby girl, you did such an amazing job. I am so proud of you, girl. You crushed it. Kyla walks away. She's like, you didn't say you were proud of me. You, you, you gave a whole bunch of accolades to Kalea, but, but you didn't say you were proud of me. Are you not proud of me, G-Pop? And we got into this whole conversation. I'm like, of course I'm proud of you. Well, you didn't tell me you were proud of me. You told her you're proud of her, but you didn't tell me you're proud of me. She lost all the other compliments. She lost all the other things. All she could fixate on is that I didn't tell her the exact same thing that I told her sister. So I said to her, I said, listen, I am proud of you both, but here's what I want you to understand. I want you to be proud of yourself. You did a good job, and I want you to recognize it because there's going to become times where your grandfather may not see it. There may come times where I may fall short on giving you a compliment. So I want you to be proud of what you've done and not be so consumed about whether I say it or not. She said, but you're proud of me though, right? I was like, yes, I'm proud of you. Move on. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. I'm proud of you. Here, here's, here's the principle. 
I'm beginning now to ensure that, yes, I'm going to affirm her. Yes, I'm going to encourage her. But I don't want her to feel that her value is connected to the words of man, that if she can be anchored in recognizing who she is in Christ, if she can understand what God says about her, there will be moments where people will not always compliment you. There will be moments where everybody may not comment on your stuff. There may be moments where people may not always recognize you. And if my value in life is connected to whether or not man is going to pat me on the back, that is an exhausting place to live. But what Jesus models for us is that I'm anchoring my affirmation in God. When Jesus got baptized, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was good enough for Jesus because there were moments when everybody said, Jesus, you're the best. There were other moments where people said, crucify him. But Jesus was unwavering in who he was and what he was called to do because he knew that the father had already validated him. Listen to me, son. Listen to me, daughter. You are made in the image of God. God loves you. He is proud of you. As long as you are pursuing him, he's going to shower blessings on you. But if we live our lives waiting for the world to pat us on our back, we're going to miss the mark. If we're waiting for the world to always tell us attaboy, we're going to miss the mark. Sometimes you're going to have to be content with recognizing I am living for the audience of one. And as long as God sees me, as long as God understands me, I'm at peace with what that is. Jesus anchored his affirmation in God And I believe that he is challenging us to anchor our affirmation in him. Because I'm telling you, if you live life long enough, you will disappoint somebody. If you live life long enough, everyone's not going to agree with you. If you live life long enough, everyone's not going to pat you on the back. Man, I've gotten to my early stages of ministry and leadership, and I would do everything I could for people. And you know, you remember it like, okay, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to give this person a promotion. I'm going to give this person a raise. I'm going to do all this. And man, they are like, man, it's the best thing ever. You give it three months, they will act as if you kicked their dog and cussed out their mom. Imagine that. Imagine for a moment, Jesus, who at one moment is having a conversation with Peter. And Peter is like, Jesus, I will cut somebody's ear off for you if they come for you. And then later on, Peter saying, I never even knew that dude. Imagine if Jesus' validation was anchored on what Peter said. Jesus is like, man, I know what the Father said. And my challenge for us going into this new year, going into this new season, is anchor your affirmation in the Father. Anchor your affirmation in that. And when we fast and pray, it allows us to disconnect from all of the affirmation from the world and allows us to be affirmed in the things of God. And it gives us a quiet, strong confidence that allows us to endure even when The world is not clapping for us. The audience of one will say, well done. Don't live your life in such a way that you're looking for likes from man, but you missed a well done from the Father. I want to live my life where I can hear well done from him. And if y'all give me a thumbs up, that's cool, but I know I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Here's the third and final thing that I want us to do as we enter into this season of, of fasting and praying is that fasting anchors our authority in Christ. Fasting anchors our authority in Christ. Lastly, the devil tells Jesus, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I will give you everything in this world if you will just bow down and worship me. We finally get to the crux of the matter. If you would just, follow, if you would just bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you everything in this world. Jesus, of course, responds, depart from me. Satan. He, he finally rebukes him and, and, and moves on. But, but I want you to see the temptation and the compromise that the enemy presented. The, the enemy presented this idea that I want to give you the crown without you going through the cross. And I believe that in the kingdom of God, it's a paradox. In the kingdom of God, God has this ability of using the opposite to accomplish his purpose. Scripture's like, give and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Like, forgive and you will be forgiven. Like, this idea that as I decrease, then what I'm looking for is then added to my life. It's just the economy of the kingdom. It's amazing how that works, where the more that I do things in a kingdom, it's actually me decreasing of self, but then God just returns it back to me, but it's with his blessing. We see this in so many different areas of our lives. It's I decrease so that he can increase. It's the way the kingdom operates. And the fascinating thing about promotion, the fascinating thing about 
influence is that the, the kingdom principle is simple. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. That the way to promotion, that the way to growth, the way to influence is through humility. And what the enemy was trying to present to Jesus is a way to get the crown without ever having to humble himself. And I believe that same temptation is a lie for every single one of us. That the idea of us functioning with humility, we've turned it into self-deprecation. We've, we've turned it into something weird where the very core tenet of what it means to be a follower of Christ, which is functioning with humility, which means this, power under restraint. It means to prefer others above yourself. We've idolized self-preservation. We've idolized self-interest at the expense of losing the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The Bible says of Jesus, he humbled himself, took upon the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, death on the cross. But somehow in that humility, it allows him to come back and say, all power has been given unto me on heaven and on earth. I believe one of the temptations that the enemy presents to us is the temptation of shortcuts. What is the quickest way for me to life hack my way to being successful without ever having to go through the process of humble, being humble? I believe what God wants for us is to recognize that there are seasons that we go through that he is humbling us, but he's also promoting us. There are moments where he wants us to empty ourselves of ourself so that he can fill us with himself. Whatever you're filled with is what you are led by. And the more that I can empty my life of myself, the more I can be filled with the Spirit of God and I can be led by the Spirit. What fasting does is it allows us to go on this journey of understanding that I have an appetite for the things of God. It allows me to recognize that my affirmation and my value comes from the Word of God. It allows me to understand that I'm going to be humble according to the Word of God. And through that, it's going to allow me to be anchored so that even when the winds come, even if I don't get the promotion, even if everything doesn't go the way that I want to, I know that I'm anchored to something beyond just my feelings, and I know that God's going to use it for His glory. That's, that's what this means for us. That's what it means to be anchored in the kingdom of God. You know, as we are going into this, this season of fasting and, and praying, I want to be um, incredibly practical for a moment, if you'll uh, give me another three minutes. Fasting anchors us in God. It gives us an appetite for the kingdom and affirmation and the authority that only God can provide. When we fast, we make room for God. Fasting is the thing that brings us strength. The Gospel of Mark chapter 9 tells a story of how there is a man whose son was afflicted with some devils that, that the disciples just couldn't get out. They prayed, they tried, they did everything they could, but they just weren't successful. And so finally the man presents his son before Jesus, and of course Jesus being the great deliverer, he, he heals him and restores him. So the disciples naturally have questions like, okay, we, we did everything you told us to do. We, we said the prayer, we declared your name, and we, we didn't get the results that we are used to getting. And Jesus says here in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, you can go back and look at it, read it, highlight it um, for your reference later. He said to them, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. He's saying that, that there are certain things that you're going to have to put a fast on it if you really want to break the chains of it. You know, I, I, I've, I'm a person that, that loves sports. I love athletic endeavors. And so every now and then I love to watch um, the Olympics. And, and there's a couple of things that, I, that I, I love in the Olympics. I love watching the high jump and I love watching um, pole vaulting. And, and, and the reason being is because those are both things that I would never do, that I can't do, and so I just admire watching it. But, but when you look at the high jump, it's when a person runs down, a bar is set, and they jump over the bar to angle their bodies in such a way, and that's absolutely fascinating to see. Just the amazing ability that human beings can have. But then the pole vault, it's, all, it's almost the same thing. However, they're running, and they have this stick in their hand. They plant that in the ground. And then they use that to catapult them at an even higher level. The high jump, you can only get but so high in your own strength, but with the pole vault, you can get even higher. I believe that what fasting is to the Christian, fasting is the pole vault to our faith. 
that there are certain things we can do in our own strength. There are certain things that we can accomplish with enough hard work, with enough grit. But when we go into a season of fasting and praying, that in essence is what Jesus is talking about in the gospel of Mark chapter 9. That's the pole vault that allows us to get over that hurdle that we weren't able to get over in our own strength. And what I know is that in 2021, we probably had some things that we weren't able to get over in our own strength. Some things that we had kept trying to, to jump over it, but we just couldn't get over it. We, we, just, we couldn't angle ourselves. What I believe this season does for us, it allows us to do something and bring something with us that's going to take us even higher, draw closer to God, and maybe that's the thing that will allow us to truly be free of that addiction. Maybe that's the thing that will really allow us to be emptied of ourselves and self-preservation and really drawing closer to God and our marriage becoming stronger, our finances becoming stronger. It's not a magic remedy, but really, really is, is me emptying myself of self and allowing myself to be filled more with Him. Fasting looks a little bit different for, for every single one of us. We all have different dietary needs. We all have different things that are, that are going on. But I do want to ask every single one of us to really seek God and engage something. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that easily ensnares us. Every hindrance and sin. Notice the difference. Hindrance and sin are different. That means that there are some things that they may not be a sin, but they may hinder us. You know what I mean? Like, being on social media isn't a sin, but it can, it can hinder us. Watching certain things on TV, it may not be a sin, but it can hinder us. And what fasting does, it allows us to disconnect from things that hinder our ability to hear from God. What are the influences that are in our lives that we hear from so much that it hinders our ability to really walk in forgiveness? It hinders our ability to walk by faith. It hinders our ability to walk according to the will and word of God. What fasting does is it says, I'm going to disconnect from that. I'm going to plug into God's word. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to remove these things that are slowing me down, that's preventing me from working and functioning at my peak optimal condition. That's, that's what this fast is really all about. If you're here in one of our locations with us here in person, at the end of service, we're going to have Dr. Brooke outside, and she would love to answer questions about practical things with fasting. We, we, we're going to have tons of resources. We have a, a Bible reading plan that has videos accompanying it. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. That's going to be a great complimentary to you. What I'm asking you to do is for the next 21 days, can you, can you, can you pause, can you pray, and say, I'm going to do this for the next 21 days? I'm, I'm going to read my Bible for the next 21 days. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to show up at church for the next 21 days in, in that week. Not every day, because if you come here, you might have to go to the museum. But you know what I'm saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to give. I'm going to do these things that I want to see God do in my life for this whole entire fast. And just watch what he does. Just watch what he does. When you put God first in every area of your life. Here's a couple of things that I personally do. Just give me a, a couple more minutes. Fasting is where we are intentional. Here's the categories that I personally am intentional with in my fast. I pray about my faith, my family, my friends, my finances, and my fitness. This is how I approach my new year. This is how I approach my goals. And so when I go into a time period of fasting and praying, I begin to say, God, what do you want me to do to strengthen my faith? God, what do you want me to do to strengthen my family? God, what do you want me to do to be better with my friends and my community? God, what do you want me to do to be better with how I steward my finances? And God, what do you want me to do to be a better steward of the temple, my fitness? Those are the categories that I use, and it basically covers everything. But I intentionally fast and pray, and then at the end of the fast, that then creates my goals. I think a lot of times we have so much pressure that by January 1, we have every single goal laid out that we know that we want to do for the next year. I don't function that way for me personally. If you already have them, that's great. But I like to fast and pray before I set the goals because I want my goals to be rooted in the kingdom of God. So what I'm asking you to do, enter into this fast with us. Be on this journey with us. I think it's going to be encouraging and inspirational and strengthening to you. And just commit. I'm going to be here. I'm going to show up. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be engaged for the next 21 days, and then I'm going to sit back and reflect and see what did God do. I think you'll be amazed at what God will do through our obedience. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for what it is that you allow us to do. I thank you for uh, 
Moments like this where we can come together as a family and we can position ourselves to seek you through a period of fasting and praying. And Lord, I pray that as every one of us are walking away from this place in preparation and expectation and anticipation of what it is that you're going to do in our lives, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you, that you begin to stir our hearts, that you draw us closer to you, God. We're not fasting to get something from you, but we're fasting to get closer to you to remove the hindrances so that we can plug into you. So if it's fasting uh, aspects of food, God, give us the strength to do it. If it's fasting from things such as secular music, give us the strength to do it. Fasting from environments that we know that doesn't strengthen us, but give us the strength to do it. For the next 21 days, we're committed and we want to be strengthened in your presence in the same way that Jesus was. We want to have our affirmation in you, our appetite for you, God, and our authority from you, God. That is how we can be anchored and do things with your word and with your will and with your impact and influence. So God, I pray a blessing over our amazing community. I pray that as we engage in this period of fasting and prayer, that God, we begin to see chains broken. I pray for strengthened marriages. I pray that as we're intentional with our families, God, we see communities getting stronger and better. As we're intentional with our finances, God, that we're gonna see the presence of God move in ways that we never had thought. Things that we had prayed and tried to do in our own strength in 2021, we're gonna see the breakthrough in the next 21 days. God, I'm praying, Father, that 2022 will be what 2020 was supposed to be. But I believe, God, it requires us to put things in the rightful place. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray against every temptation, every distraction, every lie of the enemy that's going to come to try to convince us of otherwise of what we've committed. But Father, we are anchored in your truth. We are anchored in your word. We are anchored in your will, God. And even as the enemy comes to try to shift our perspective, we will not give up ground because we are anchored in you. We're building our lives on you. We're putting our vision on you. So we rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. We rebuke him over our faith. We rebuke him over our family. We rebuke him over our our friends. We rebuke him over our finances. We rebuke him even over our very bodies. God, I pray that you bring healing and strength and stability and influence and grace and favor that can only come because we're anchored in you, God. If you didn't give it to us, God, we don't want it. Father, allow us to be anchored in you and to be patient as you bring things to fruition. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this, or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.